hour number two of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Each Sunday we get together for three hours. We talk about the news of the week, the events of our often bizarre lives, and we do so in an entertaining, informative, and unique fashion. Tons to get to in the next two hours of the program, but uh, in this segment I intend to finish the uh, the extended version of uh, the story of my interaction with Sarah Palin as a backdrop for understanding really the big political news story of this week, at least according to the news media, which of course was the very strange endorsement by Sarah Palin of Donald Trump, which we will get to momentarily. So, Salia, I have a lot of flaws as a human being. One of them is that I tend to be too loyal uh, to people that I think deserve it or did something for me at some point, even if they uh, have long ago no longer deserve my loyalty, I tend to to be loyal even after that point. Now, now once I'm no longer loyal, look out. <laughs> You're dead to me. Right, right. Once you become dead, you are dead, okay? but You have a savior complex, and you need to get over that. Well, that might be... So it's a savior complex, it's you, plain and simple. You really think that's what's driving it? Yes. You, you think that I felt like I needed to save Sarah Palin? Yes. Based on what? what, what, what now, flesh you, this out for me. You have this thing about you where you feel like if only this person or this media or these people would listen to me, they would understand that I know the right thing to do and everything will be perfect. Uh, and well, that's, Sarah that, Palin, that, makes, that makes it sound like I'm a, an egomaniac, first right. of all. Right. <laughs> Which I'm That's not. part of it. No. But it's part of it. Because you see potential, and when they don't listen to you, you take it personally. Okay. That, that, okay. Part, that part I'll agree with. Um, but, you know, you can't – look, Sarah Palin, even if she had done every single thing that you said, yeah. it still wouldn't have worked out. Yes, Her family is a freaking nightmare. Okay, but see, but there, this gets me back to the story. Yes, her family is a freaking nightmare, um, and she's become a nightmare. But it's largely because of what they had to endure and the path that she chose in order to survive. That's not true, because Bristol was pregnant the first time. I I got got, Uh, That is not true. Hold on a second. Wait a minute. And Track was already going to Iraq. But that, yeah, but he wasn't... He wasn't committing apparent crimes of domestic abuse. Um, all right, no, but we're getting way off the beaten path here. But, but Leah, um, I would submit to you that, that under the circumstances that Bristol Palin endured uh, in, that, in that incredible media microscope as a teenage girl who was pregnant to, with, with a, a baby that, without being married, she handled that unbelievably well. It, it's, okay, what, now, what, what I'm saying it, is it's hypocritical... Sarah Palin, what she projects and what her actual life is. All right. Okay. It's hypocritical. This was a bad match from the beginning. Hold on a second. We're not going to be able to get into all the details because we don't have enough time. But here's my theory on that. And this gets us back to the story, which is this. This is the essence of what happened with Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin felt like in order to survive and prosper, and and I'm not going to sugarcoat it, she wanted to get rich. She wanted to be paid for all that she and her family had endured. And I never blamed her for that, okay? 
But in order to do that, she became what the news media wanted her or thought that she was. Wanted her to be or thought that she was, even though she wasn't that person. She created this character because that's what they wanted. And that's she what, became Tina Fey from right. SNL. That's what she became. Right. There was a symbiotic relationship there. And and she became the Tea Party Queen because those were the people that were going to support her. And and even though she was not a hardcore conservative Tea Party person politically, she realized and understood intrinsically, and this was her political intelligence, she knew that those were the people that were going to rush to her aid and to understand that she had been unfairly treated by the news media, and so she created this character, okay? Now, let yeah. me let me get back to this story, because this, this will get us to where we are this week. So, back to my loyalty. So I was too loyal to her. And to understanding, because I felt a great deal of empathy for what she and her family had endured by that unfair news media coverage. And also I felt loyalty because she did the interview with me. And, you know, frankly, I live in a house that was built on, a, on the movie media malpractice. So I felt loyalty from that standpoint. So I endured a lot with her. A lot of her doing stupid things. A lot of her uh, doing things that I didn't agree with. A lot of her not paying a damn bit of attention to what I was telling her, even though I t- was right almost every even single I told time. Her to do it. <laughs> well, I was right almost every flipping time, and she wouldn't listen. Okay. So, um, so, so. With that said, the moment that my loyalty ended was when she did that presidential tease back before the 2012 election where she pretended like she was going to run when I knew damn right well she wasn't going to run and she built a lot of her supporters out of money and she let down a lot of people and she told a lot of lies and she did it all for attention and she did it all for Sarah Palin Inc. And at that point I wrote a very extensive piece which you can check out on on if you google it it's called oh the, i've got to find this you've never read this no oh my god get, get a get a glass oh, of well, wait it's a piece or did you write a letter to her no 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 it's called the sarah palin i know and it was it was published in the in the daily caller the website the daily caller uh there was it's a huge piece it's i don't know how the long sarah it is it's a, palin yeah just what just google the sarah palin i know by john ziegler uh, and the Daily Caller, and you'll see it. it and, and it basically tells the whole backdrop story of why I felt like, okay, I can no longer stay silent here. I got to tell the, who this woman really is and why it is that, that I'm now off this bandwagon officially. Now, a lot of people misinterpreted that as, oh, well, Ziggler, you know, because it's funny how because she's a woman, people always – uh, referenced our relationships in our, our relationship in romantic terms, like Keith Oberman on multiple occasions referenced my crush on Sarah Palin, and you know because I did this somehow she was had, projecting. She she I think you're right about Keith Oberman projecting, but yep. some somehow she, uh, you know she had broken up with me, and I was like this spurned <laughs> lover now, um, <laughs> you know, writing this piece for the Daily Caller. That's not what happened. No, well uh, I remember. Remember that wasn't true. Uh, none, that wasn't true. None of that. That whole, none of that which, happened. Which part? It wasn't a crush or anything like that. No, no, I know no. that you really saw a future there, and you thought that you could help her. Right. And uh, you know she didn't take your right. Advice. And so, so anyway, the point is though, 
that that piece in the Daily Caller was totally misinterpreted because everyone looks at it through the prism of I'm not the celebrity. She is. Therefore, she must have done something which made me on the outs, and therefore I'm, like, bitter. No, 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 no. I understand why you think that, but that's not what happened here because 99% of people in my position would have still been kissing her ass because it was good for my career. This was a horrible move for my career because my entire fan base was going, what the hell is Ziggler doing torching Sarah Palin? Well, this week they found out what I was doing. Yeah. I was telling the truth. And yeah. I got I got numerous messages on email, Twitter, and Facebook from people, which never happens, actually apologizing to me because they had been so upset with me back in 2012 when I wrote that piece in the Daily Caller. And now they're going, oh, now we get it. You were just telling the truth about this woman who decided that she needed to stay famous and get rich and created a character in yep. order to do so. So when we come well, she back... she blew it this week, boy. All right, when we come back, we'll, we got to be done with this finally. Uh, hopefully this is more Please. interesting. Please. <laughs> when we come back, um, we'll play the clips and I'll explain the character that Sarah Palin has created and then we'll move on to what's going on with Donald Trump and the rest of this race on the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. And I promise this is our final segment uh, on the subject of Sarah Palin's endorsement uh, of Donald Trump. I've been uh, taking a lot of time with this because it is a unique and I think important story that I have to tell to give you some understanding, both of me as a talk show host and where I'm coming from, as well as what really happened here And, Leah, I've been describing what really happened here as an act, which is something you apparently agree with. I was kind of stunned that people were shocked that Sarah Palin would endorse Donald Trump because, to me, it was obvious as hell that she was going to do this. She had been complimentary of him. Uh, She did an interview with him on this little television news network no one has ever heard of One America News, which is based down in San Diego. I love One America News. Well, it, it's fine. I mean, I, I've it's a, a great news station. Is it really? I mean, well, I, I, mean yes. I, I don't watch it that often. I've appeared on it a couple of times. It's great. Um, but um, okay, whatever. But the point is that she she did an interview with him that was where she slobbered all over him, and and the reason why it was obvious to me that she was going to endorsed Donald Trump was because it was the act that could make her the most relevant and get the most attention. If she had endorsed anybody else in the race, it wouldn't have gotten anywhere near the amount of attention that it's it got. It's all about her. It's, and it's all about a couple things. One, uh, maintaining her celebrity. Two, maintaining the perception of relevance and and number three, is there a pathway to her somehow getting back in the game? And look, I'm telling you from her perspective, Leah. And, you know, Donald Trump has said that 
he would consider her for a cabinet position uh, if he were to become president. So here she's looking at this going, well, hell, he looks like he's going to win the Republican nomination. Hillary looks like a lousy candidate. He might win. I might end up being able to put this the this, the pieces back together here. Now, oh. that, I'm just telling you what she's thinking. I know. I and know. So, and so it was obvious to me that she was going to endorse Donald Trump. Now, how it went down was not obvious to me <laughs> because I was stunned at how amateurish the whole thing was. And I mean from A to Z. I mean, I, I, his speech beforehand was a snooze fest, almost like on purpose. He couldn't have been more boring. I've never seen Donald Trump so boring. There was no music. There was there was no video. It, it was it was an incredibly boring event. And then she came on and took a boring event and and made it interesting only because it was so flat out bizarre and strange. Now here's the analogy that I would like to use, Leah. Tell me what you think of this. Okay. Well, I keep saying that this is an act. And here's what happened with Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin in this endorsement is basically like. The, the girl who, who started off as a good girl, all right? Um, you know, she, she wasn't perfect, but she was in her essence, she was good. And she was mostly pure. And she ends up in a situation where she has to become a whore. Um, think of kind of like uh, Demi Moore in Indecent Proposal. Remember that movie? You know, <laughs> yes. where she she's. Uh, I w- I'm sorry, but it's Robert Redford. My goodness, okay. it wouldn't have taken a million dollars. Well, Donald Trump is no Robert Redford. Okay, but, no, de- that's but, Demi- true. <laughs> but Demi Moore's character, who's happily married, decides that she's going to whore herself out for a million dollars <laughs> to have sex with Robert Redford. Okay, that's what Sarah Palin is doing in this endorsement, but. Because she's still, in her essence, a good girl, she's terrible at faking it. That's still, awful. So, do you see what I'm saying here? So she's now. I to- listen. I totally agree, a hundred percent. I told my dad on the way here. We had a conversation. I said Sarah Palin was great because it was organic, right? And it was real. And now she's become Tina Fey because that's what people expect. All right, so play a clip or two from this uh, crazy endorsement. Ugh. He's going rogue left and right, man. That's why he's doing so well. How about the rest of us? Right-wing and bitter clinging, proud clingers of our guns, our God, our in our religions, in our constitution tell us that we're not red enough yeah coming from the establishment you ready for a commander-in-chief who will let our warriors do their job and go kick isis ass okay so so basically what you have there is a really bad version of the the scene in the diner and when harry met sally when she's faking the orgasm i mean yeah. she's faking it for donald trump right there oh, and, yeah. and she doesn't even know who she is anymore it's and, terrible and, and, and it's obvious right and so that's what really happened here the good girl turned whore who gives donald trump the big monica but she's really lousy at it because it's not who she really is and that, she makes the gop a joke well, let's talk about the impact. Get out of here. Let's talk about Donald Trump when we come back on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.
You're listening to the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com, where you can check out each and every one of the 22 different stations across this formerly great nation of ours, which broadcast this show each and every uh, Sunday night. The best show of its kind and all of weekend talk radio, which isn't saying much because we don't have much competition. But this is a really good and unique program. We still have about an hour and a half left to go in this show. We're doing this thing a little bit differently tonight, uh, where we take a look at uh, our weekly look at the race for the White House 2016. Spent an awful lot of time uh, telling you the backdrop of my interaction uh, with Sarah Palin as uh, the foundation for understanding what really happened with regard to that endorsement that got so much news coverage this week of Donald Trump. So, Lee, let's talk a little bit about Trump himself, because... One of the things that I have been amazed by with regard to Donald Trump is for a guy who is obviously not a conservative until like 15 minutes ago, um, <laughs> who has been living in a bubble almost his entire life as a billionaire in in Manhattan. Right. That, with New York values, he said. Right. How is it that this guy has his finger so on the pulse of the likely Republican primary voter. It's amazing to me. Yeah. But but politically, he has been savant-like. Now, he's made a few mistakes, but in the... In the it didn't matter. It hasn't mattered, because after all... With me, it's just works. <laughs> you know, it's magic. Right. It's magic. And it's magic. It's the Trump magic, which, of course, will only work in a primary on the GOP side, not in a general election, but that's another story for later on. But but here's what I mean by that. You know, as as much of a disaster as the Palin endorsement would be perceived to be and certainly would be for the general election audience. I mean, there's no question that having Palin be so out there and in such a weird way endorsing him is not going to help him should he be the nominee. I I don't think so either. I don't think he cares, though, because Here's here's how Trump's mind works. He looks at the world basically on a day-to-day and a week-to-week basis. So what's good for me today and maybe tomorrow? And that's about it. Yeah. And he was in the midst of a battle with Ted Cruz over, Correct. Uh, over whether or not Trump is really a conservative and whether, you know, whether or not the, the conservative choice in Iowa ought to be Trump or Cruz. So what he did with Palin was, you know, he used her, and she was obviously more than happy to be used. Willing to be used. Right, as the whore that she's become to him. So she she whores herself out so that he can basically put a Band-Aid for three days in the middle of this last full week before we really get into the Iowa caucuses on this issue of is Trump a conservative? Because he was gonna he was about to be vulnerable on that. Cruz and Trump had finally decided that their buddy, you know, their their bromance was over and that they were going to start attacking each other. And boy, boy, that escalated quickly. Yeah, it really. (laughs) And don't don't forget, you know, Sarah Palin has really backed Ted Cruz in a lot of ways. So, you know, that this is a to Ted Cruz. Well, Ted Cruz has said that without Sarah Palin, he wouldn't even be in the U.S. Senate, which I agree with, because. Her endorsement gave him the traction and the credibility during the Republican primary fight there in Texas for the U.S. Senate seat. So so Trump brilliantly, brilliantly timed 
basically does a defensive defensive maneuver, which he, you know, Trump uses Palin. Palin is more than willing to be used by Trump in order to buy him several days of, first of all, the subject matter isn't on what a liberal Donald Trump is. And, right. and in fact, the subject is, look, one of the conservative superstars, a Tea Party superstar, is endorsing him. And the fact that it went poorly almost doesn't matter because it's a defensive maneuver. All Trump cares about is making sure that that 25 to 35 percent that is indicated support for him in the polls in Iowa and elsewhere, that they stay with him. Yeah. Th- that there's no there's no fracture, that there's no erosion. And Palin did that for him. The Palin endorsement based upon the polls as they have come out even in the last 24 hours, there's a Fox News poll out of Iowa indicating Trump's now ahead of Cruz in Iowa. That is stunning to me. Really? Why is it stunning? Because... Uh, Sarah Palin, and you know, I I was a big Sarah Palin fan. Mm -hmm. I was a big fan. I liked her. I thought Mm -hmm. I bought in. Right. Uh, You should have. It was so clearly fake. Right. And and ridiculous uh, that it totally turned me off and would never bring me in. Uh, just because Sarah Palin but, endorsing, but it would be a turnoff to me. But you weren't a Trump supporter, right? I mean, you weren't going to vote for Trump. In Listen, a, if he's the nominee, you, you're darn right I'm voting for him. Okay, but but between if you if you were living in Iowa, you'd be in the cruise camp for sure. I'd be in the cruise camp, yeah. Right, which you know we're not going to get into too much on that again because we almost killed each other last week. But <laughs> but we're going to have a truce on that for at least uh, most of this. <laughs> or week. another week. For another week, because yeah. But but here's the bottom line on this. This so far now I don't know what's going to happen this week because we got another debate this week. And I think oh, I, I think Trump. I, I mean, I have put the I have put a very clear number on what Trump needs to do in Iowa for him to take this thing all the way to the convention and maybe even theoretically run away with it. And that is, he needs to get at least 23 to 24 percent in Iowa. Otherwise, if he gets lower than that, I think this whole thing implodes. I still think it implodes. And part of the reason why it's imploding is because, or it could implode, and I'm not saying it's going to, but I'm saying that if he collapses in Iowa, then, you know, the whole aura of invincibility is gone. Here's the the big winner. You know, it's his reputation, yet he's not winning. He gets his ass kicked. Then all of a sudden, you know, things uh, start going the other direction in New Hampshire, it looks like John Kasich, of all people, is catching fire there. Who no, knows? please. I, I know. I, I, don't, I don't believe that, but that's what the polls say. <laughs> I don't either. The, the I don't point, either. The point, the point of this is, the point of this is, I still believe there's a scenario where this thing does not. It's not going to completely disintegrate for Donald Trump, but I still think he's in a little bit of a precarious situation. And he's because bizarrely, he's now becoming the establishment candidate. That's what's really strange about all this. That's because they hate Ted Cruz and they can deal with Donald Trump. I agree, but I think that's dangerous. Of course it is. For Trump's branding. I'm not talking about whether or not 
I want him to win, don't want him to win. I've said many times I like him personally, but he, he's the worst person to go up against Hillary for a number of reasons. But I'm just looking at this from a political standpoint. I think Trump might be in a more vulnerable position than he thinks. I mean, my gosh, he went out there this week and literally said he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and not lose any votes. I, I mean, think I have something like that. Let's l- see. Let me hear. Most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? <laughs> it's like incredible. <laughs> no, they say, Trump, we love you too, man. Trump. <laughs> I mean, With me, it's just... Um, You know, you're right. If the RNC really had thought about this, they would have gotten behind Ted Cruz. um, In order to beat Donald Trump? No, in order to kill Ted Cruz. Oh, I see what you're saying. The reverse psychology theory. Uh, I actually think this is where I was going a minute ago. I think whether it's on purpose or not, I think that they might be setting Donald Trump up for for a fall. If they embrace him, if he's no longer the bad boy, right? It's, it's just like it's just like your teenage daughter dating the bad boy, right? That's right. The, Once you get behind the bad boy, I'm out. Well, once I've always said, and of course now I'm gonna have to live it because I have a you know beautiful three and a half year old daughter. So some so someday I'm gonna have to live this. But in theory, I've always said that parents ought to embrace the bad boy because as soon as you embrace him, he loses his bad boyness, and his aura goes away, and all of a sudden she's not interested. She gets bored easily. Well, I think Trump is in danger of having that happen, don't you? You see what I'm saying? That that he is now seen as the establishment. Cruz is seen as the bad boy. Um, now, Now, it won't matter. See, this is where Trump's really genius because Trump understands what I'm saying here that he has to either win or at the very least come in a very very strong second in Iowa or else his whole thing might implode so what he's looking at this is looking at it short term thinking I don't care that I'm losing my bad boyness because if I beat Cruz in Iowa and the polls hold up in New Hampshire guess what I'm, I'm the, in. I'm the nominee. It doesn't matter what happens after that, That's which right. which might be true. And in every other year in the history, it would be true. This one might be different, though. And I'll explain why when we come back on the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. We continue with our very extensive coverage this week of the race for the White House 2016. We will get to Hillary Clinton and the Democratic side in the next hour and then some other news of the week to cover as well. But folks, we're getting to the nitty gritty here. I mean, we are really close now to the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primaries. And, you know, one of the things, Leah, that that Trump is amazing at is coming up with the next act so that no one ever gets bored. You know, this week was Sarah Palin. And next week we've got uh, a Fox News uh, debate and he's already picking a battle with Megyn Kelly again, which I don't understand, but seems to work for him. I mean, he he's amazing 
at being able to keep people from getting bored um, and not paying attention to the fact that he's not a conservative. I mean, it's it's amazing yeah. how he's been able to do that. And we're almost he's almost run out the clock. I mean, we are we are a week and a half now away from actual votes, not even. And, you know, the polls indicate the polls, if they hold up, which we're only, you know, it's, it would be highly unusual if the polls completely disintegrated on him in the next two weeks. Um, not unprecedented, but unusual unless something really dramatic happens. And, of course, since he's immune to all viruses because he can say anything he wants, I mean, you just yeah. listen to him, he can shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and, <laughs> and no one's going to stop voting for him. Uh, it's hard to imagine what the scenario is. My point is we are maybe two and a half weeks away from Donald Trump running away from this thing. No, it's t- uh, I, I, he's going to be our nominee. I, 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 he's going to be the nominee. I well, just don't see any way to stop well, him. And by the way, well, you know, you talked about doing the next act, next act. Let's not forget on a grueling campaign schedule that's incredible. This guy oh, his- is everywhere and on television and all the media. This guy is he's on fire years, out there. He's 69 years old. Where does he get the energy? I like, don't know. It's a, and it, it is amazing. You have to take, tip your cap to him yeah. uh, from that perspective. I mean, he he uh, is P.T. Barnum. I mean, he, he, Man. he, he actually he puts P.T. Barnum to shame. Um, that doesn't mean he'd make a good nominee or a good president. But it's amazing what he has pulled off and is on the verge of pulling off here. Now, you said you don't see how it goes the other direction. Let me give you a couple scenarios where it could. All right. Now, I will say that everything is going as perfectly, perfectly as it could for Donald Trump. Uh, it now appears as if he's leading in Iowa, although I think there's a danger in that for him. I actually believe that if he wants to win the nomination, the best scenario for him is to basically be tied or maybe even come in a strong second in Iowa behind Cruz. And the reason why I feel that way is because New Hampshire has a reputation as being the state that will go, wait a minute, hold on, everybody, and put a a break on somebody who might come out of Iowa looking to put this thing away. They've done that on a couple of occasions on both the Democratic and the Republican side. And I think it's possible, possible. Now, two things would have to happen. One seems unlikely because we've got too many big egos involved. But let's say that Iowa is truly a three-person race, as the polls indicate, Trump, Cruz, and maybe Rubio in third. Right. And let's let's say everybody else craps the bed and doesn't even come close to getting double digits. And please uh, drop out. Well, that's the point. If, if at that point, which oh. I don't believe is going to happen, if at that point Jeb, Kasich, uh, Christie, Fiorina, if they finally – and Carson said, look, we, we're, we're out. We, we're, we're done. If that occurred – I think Trump would be in trouble in New Hampshire because it would totally reshuffle the deck. It would wipe away the clutter. Um, and, and I think a lot of people there would look, will go, well, why not Rubio? I mean, you know, Rubio seems like the guy for us. He fits us politically. He can beat Hillary. He's not Donald Trump. Uh, we, I like him. I trust him. He's been great in all these debates. I do think that that is a scenario that could happen. Now, it, it's based on two, two things. One, people dropping out, which I don't think is going to happen. In fact, I don't see I see the opposite occurring. 
I don't even think they're going to drop out after New Hampshire. Oh, and, good uh, God! I mean, and here's but because and, and New Hampshire's really causing a problem, and uh, for everybody but Donald Trump. And here's why: because every single candidate I just mentioned that should be dropping out can look at one or two polls in New Hampshire and go, "I could be the guy." I could be the guy that catches fire. I'm the one that lightning could strike for. And okay. if Donald- Jeb Bush could never think that or uh, oh, I guarantee honestly, you, I guarantee you they think I guarantee you the Jeb Bush that people think if we can just keep Rubio from finishing a strong second in New Hampshire, which, by the way, which is insane that the Jeb money is going to destroy Marco Rubio. It how, really makes me angry, too. How crazy is that? And that's, that is the insanity of this election cycle in a nutshell, that most of Jeb Bush's money is going to destroy Marco flipping Rubio. Uh, regardless of what you think of Jeb or Rubio, that's insane. But that's what's happening. So their theory is if we can keep Marco in check— and we can get to South Carolina, and we can bring out Bush 43 and Barbara, and you know, bring out the bring back the old band together. Oh, uh, they think they can win in South Carolina, or at the very least, come in second and make it into a a Cruz Trump Bush race. That's what they think. Now, that's there's no way. I agree. Delusional. I agree. But that delude that delusion, ironically enough. You know, for, for as much as Trump has, has destroyed Jeb and rips him all the time and, has, and vice versa, Jeb's going after Trump, the reality is that they're each other's best friends. Because, because if it wasn't for Jeb and if it wasn't for Christy and Kasich and Fiorina and Carson sticking around when they should be getting the hell out, Trump would be in trouble. Because Trump is, is I believe, has a ceiling of it at a 35% Maybe 40 if it's a three-man race. That's the highest Trump can go anywhere. And you can theoretically win a three-person race if that's your ceiling, but it's not easy. It's a long slog. And if that dips down to 30, you lose. And so, so the scenario is, here's the dangerous scenario for Trump. He actually wins Iowa, but Rubio makes a, a, a strong enough play in Iowa Everybody else is diminished to the point where the people of New Hampshire go, wait a minute, we're going to put a, a, a brake on this runaway freight train that's the Donald Trump Express because we don't trust it, and that's what we do in New Hampshire, and we're going to rally around Rubio, and if that were to happen, then South Carolina is a brand new ball game. That doesn't mean Trump's going away. I mean, I've, I have still maintained, and I will continue to maintain, if Trump finishes strong second or better in Iowa, he is there till the convention. He's um, the nominee. Uh, I'm just saying it right now. He's the nominee. I think there's – well, look, if at freespeechbroadcasting.com, he is the favorite based upon my non-betting percentages that I put out there. 35% <laughs> Donald Trump, 30% Ted Cruz, 30%. Uh, Marco Rubio and a couple of percentages points for the miracles that might occur to to somebody else. But um, but but look, um, you know, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, there's no question it's going to be fascinating. And and Iowa will tell a lot. In fact, we'll know we'll know even before the votes are counted in Iowa, because all we're going to need to know is what's the turnout in Iowa. If the turnout in Iowa is huge, it's going to be gigantic. If it is, then Trump's going to win. Yeah. Uh, because every poll has indicated that he will do much better 
in a situation where there is a larger turnout. If the turnout is not that big, if it's normal or maybe even less than normal, then maybe the whole Trump thing is still a facade and it could still implode. I'm not saying that that's the most likely scenario. I'm saying it's still possible. Um, But we just don't know. We're just not going to know until Iowa. um, But I I understand where you're coming from, Lee. I do think that there's a reasonable chance that uh, that Trump could theoretically run away with this thing. I I still can't believe it's going to be that easy. I just cannot believe it's going to be that easy. I think we're in for a very long three-person race. When we come back, we'll talk uh, about Hillary Clinton and whether she's in big trouble on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.